Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. We are going way back in time, and we are also joined by our two special guests who we will introduce momentarily. But first, Chris, I will kick it over to you. How are you, my friend? Man, if you told me that one day we'd be sitting here and, the, and there would be four people, four metalheads, talking about a Monkees album, and then you told me which album we were talking about, I... I don't know. I don't know how I would have reacted to that information. So this is uh, this is exciting. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and um, I I have a feeling we're going to at least I am going to learn a thing or two from uh, Carrie, the resident monkeys expert. So uh, I mean, I thought I knew a lot about the monkeys, but he he, he schools me. So uh, I, I'm glad that he's here to provide his expertise, and uh, we we. We decided to drag Justin and Sean in on this <laughs> too, so uh, should be should be fun. I am looking forward to this. I have been looking forward to it for quite some time. I've got thoughts. I will share them all um, throughout the course of, of this episode. But uh, I want to kick it over to Carrie and Sean from the MSR Cast. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Uh, it is an our pleasure to have you on. And, um, you know, last time we had you on, we talked about some Merciful Fate. This is not Merciful Fate. This is nothing like that, it. Right? This, this is a far cry from Merciful Fate, but we thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you again for having us back. Um, I Like Chris has mentioned, I'm we're both monkey nerds, um, and this album... I know we're going to get into some of the, the meat and potatoes and details of it, but this is a very different and special album, and it's very polarizing even in the Monkees fan community. So um, I thought it was a perfect album to, to really dissect on this show because there are some elements on this album that are very different uh, from the band, what they usually would do um, in tone and not not just guitar tone, but... Um, lyrics and a whole bunch of different stuff we're going to get into. I thought that would be perfect. In terms of metal, it's not a metal album, obviously. It's the Monkees, but um, we we dip our toe kind of close to to certain pools that one might say are borderline metal, so it's it's fascinating. It gets a little grungy, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. We're we're trying to hit that, uh, that sweet spot, and this came out in 96, so they're trying to hit sitting that. for the time, yeah. um, and and we'll get into that. I noticed that right away. But Sean, I want to ask you, um, what was your exposure to the Monkees prior to this week and prior to this album? And, and be honest, was this like your first foray into nineteen uh, sixties bubblegum pop? The the only thing about the Monkees that I knew was that they had done. Um, there's the Hey Hey There Where the Monkeys song, and then there's. <laughs> Uh, daydream believer that was the only thing i knew this is Um, great this is great because we have you as like the complete novice me who's at most one or two steps above you and then our two resident experts who are just going to teach me so i can sit back and listen on an album that by and large like i said i think you get 10 different opinions if you ask 10 different people well, oh, yeah. I, and the thing is, I knew the one thing I do is I, I know all the guys' names because Carrie, being the monkeys fan that he is, has talked about them ceaselessly. So somehow these names like Peter Tork and Mike Nesmith and Davy Jones or um, 
I can't remember the other guy's name. Never, so I know three out of the four monkeys. All right. So you, you know all the three dead ones. <laughs> uh, Mickey Dolan's the guy you there got you go. the, uh, the the tattoo of. Yeah. So oh, spoiler. There you go. Well, like I said, this is this is going to be uh, this is going to be interesting. Uh, let me just set the table before we kind of dive into this. Uh, the monkeys obviously were a classic band from the '60s. Uh, you know, kind of coming in after. Uh, Beatlemania had been in full force and effect, and this band kind of went on hiatus in many regards, I guess, after the late 60s and hadn't put out an album since, I think, 1968. And then all of a sudden, in 1996, the band puts out an album seemingly out of nowhere called Justice, and that's spelled J-U-S-T-U-S, and it came out October 15th of 1996, so it had been what, 28 years since their last release. And so much has changed both, you know, both, um, you know, both in America, socially, civilly, um, you know, musically. I mean, just so much had happened in that 28 years. And you can kind of hear how, at least in my opinion, there were certain parts of this album that sounded like classic monkeys. And then there were other parts of the album that sounded like a completely different band. And I think that that was like kind of the most fascinating thing, you know, for me, Chris, I'm going to ask you as, as a fan of the band, what was your exposure and appreciation for this particular album as someone who obviously was familiar with all the classic material? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you asked that because, um, I, you know, when I grew up listening to the monkeys, it was kind of the mid to late eighties. And, uh, at the time they had released, um, a new album in 87 called pool it. And it was, um, all, you know, three of the four monkeys, everybody, but Mike Nesmith uh, involved. And, and, um, I knew that album just as well as I knew any of the old stuff too. Like that was just part and parcel of my monkey's education. Yeah. It I just love happened Pullet. to be, yeah, I do too. Um, one of the worst album covers ever, but one of their best <laughs> albums. Yes. This justice had, um, uh, six less nipples and we couldn't be happier about it. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I was really familiar with that that album from 1987, but this album came out in 1996. At, at this point, I'm already, a, you know, a tried and true Monkees fan. I know all the old stuff. And my cousin who um, basically took, like brought me into this Monkees world, um, she bought this CD. I think she listened to it once, didn't think much of it and, get, and like literally handed it to me. It's like, you have it. And mm-hmm. I never really listened, to, like sat down and listened to it for a long time until um, you know, Carrie and I were playing Monkey's yep. Hurdle, and he was always just um like incredulous that I didn't know like most of the songs from this album, and that's kind of how the discussion came about. Like we should move this to a podcast forum and talk about it that way. And like I mentioned earlier, we dragged you and Sean into this, but um, and so for yeah, that I apologize too. <laughs> so I, I'd say I knew. I mean, I knew the opening track very well because that it was from, you know, the late 60s and it was re-recorded. And um, the song You and I also I knew quite well. But honestly, the rest of the album I just did not know really well. So this was um, kind of a, an education for me, even as a, a Monkees fan. This one kind of just fell by the wayside for me, especially because in 96 was such a weird time for me because I was in between my 
grunge slash you know alt rock phase and and about to become like a real metalhead and this was like right in between yeah. where I kind of felt a little bit lost when it came to music and and why I would it, like really um become so into metal because I felt like there was this musical void in my life and uh I, I guess this album didn't do anything to help at the time but uh yeah um I I would I would uh, pass it along to, to Carrie and just ask like what your um, history with this album is. I, yeah, I remember, uh, you know, this was back in the day where you had to actually go buy a CD before you heard anything. I remember going to the store, picking it up um, and not taking the CD out of my, my disc player in my car for a while. And anybody who got in my car was forced to listen to it. Um, and apologies to all my friends back in the day. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, and we're going to get into more of the details on it, but I, I really, there's elements of this album that surprised me when it first came out and still surprised me to this day that they got all away with some of the things that they did. Um, some of the guitars are, re- are they can be really heavy. Uh, and I'll get into some specifics, but I always got a lot of doom metal elements off of this album with some of the, the songs and, uh, it, the first time I ever heard it, I'm like, well, this is actually pretty, pretty heavy for what, what they are. I wish the, yeah. you know, the guitars could have been a little bit, uh, you know, tuned more heavy, but you know, you got to give credit to these guys because this is the first album in since headquarters. They actually all wrote and performed on the, all four monkeys. It's the only, the second album they've ever done that they did all that together. Every single other album has been other musicians and other songwriters and all kinds of things, but yeah, and, and for, for better or worse, that's what you got here. And correct, and, and, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, did did they write all the songs on Headquarters, or were there outside writers for some of the songs? On there were some outside writers, yeah. For some so of this, so this yeah. would be the only album they've ever done where they all wrote their own songs. Because um, yeah. even uh, Good Times, which would come out, what about? I don't know, 15 years or so after this, um, that was, that had, uh, you know, guest writers, so to speak as well. So this is kind of a special album just because the band was always derided for not writing their own music and not performing their own instruments. It's an anomaly too. Uh, and, and it came along with, uh, there was like a long playing, uh, show that they had like on ABC or something like that, that went along with this album too. And if you haven't watched that, it's, uh, very 90s that's all i can say yeah well i'll say this um this was not at all what i was expecting given my limited knowledge of the band and i have to think that chris probably shared the same sentiment because this is different it's just a very different album but timely like this is i mean maybe a little bit late to the game but like this album in many ways does scream mid 90s um and it was kind of the tail end of that grungy alt rock thing that chris was talking about earlier right before like the real pop bands would start coming uh, on the scene in like the you know the later part of the 90s so timely to say the least um as we begin to go through this I would encourage you guys, you know, we always pick a song of the week here. So I'm going to ask you guys to do the same as we kind of go through this and kind of the one song that stuck out to you. Um, I had narrowed it down to two. I think I know which one I'm going to choose. Uh, but, you know, 
with with that backdrop, I think we just kind of get into it at this point. You know, this album starts, and let me say it's it's only twelve tracks, but because it's the monkeys, it clocks in at you know just under forty minutes. Although I guess some of these songs are longer by their standards because you know those older classic tracks, some of them are you know two minutes in in length. Yeah. But here we we start with Circle Sky, a Nesmith track, which I had no idea that this song had come out in 1968 again showing my naivety when it comes to this band but this was like a remake of an earlier song carrie jump in no, yeah I'll, I'll jump in like pull it man um yeah circle sky is one of my favorite tracks by them um the the version on this album it's not my favorite i'll be honest with you um comparative like some of the other heavy guitar stuff they did on this album i think they could have taken it further just this just sounded it sounds like classic monkeys and uh sadly it's the only um lead vocal from nesmus on this album he does some background vocal to find but this is the only lead vocals he does on the album which is a shame you know yeah i I agree with that um yeah he definitely he has other songwriting credits but i didn't i didn't realize like i had always assumed that he at least sang on like two songs on this i didn't really realize it was just the one and it was kind of that older song it was uh it was one of the um one of the handful of new songs that the band had released for the soundtrack for the the head movie that came yeah. out in uh 68 or 69 um 68, yeah it, perfect perfect song for that movie is just and this doesn't and that actually the live version whatever they call it from that from the head movie feels a little bit heavier than this you know yeah this is kind of uh i i feel like they didn't really um deviate too far from the original too much where they probably could have been a little bit more daring um i'm curious what uh the the, you other two fellas thought of this track because um i'll say this you know, I was going to wait till the end, but I, I'm afraid I'll just forget it. So I'll just say that overall, this album reminded me a lot of Halloween's Chameleon album in that it felt like hmm. a number of different guys doing solo a solo album, but on one album. It's like everybody kind of contributed their ideas. I, they were. I honestly think you hit the the nail on the head there, man. It's because uh, if you some of these songs, like some of the Mickey songs, where he was demoing before this album came out earlier and some of the Peter Tork stuff the same way Davy Jones they pulled something from an album he already released and they just redid it so I think you're right I think that I don't want to say it feels completely disjointed but it, it does a little bit no it's all over the place I have some really strong thoughts about this track but I want to kick it over to Sean talk to me about your first like real monkeys foray and, and circle sky here I mean, because the the '60s kind of tone to this—that's kind of what I thought this entire thing would sound like. Um, and I didn't think that this was an old song. I just thought, like, oh, okay, so they're trying to like do an album that sounds like it's from the '60s. And the production was kind of like like set back, and and, the, and then all of a sudden, when the next song would kick in, you realize that was an aberration. And were and and so it. It was okay. I mean, it, the the little rhythmic kind of guitar riff there, I, I thought it was okay, but it's not a song that like stuck with me. Um, it just stuck with me because the production was so faded out, so washed out or whatever. 
and the vocals are like pushed all the way in the back. The the production of this album really bothered me all throughout. I'll just say that. Like it was always changing, always shifting. It, the the it sometimes it sounded like like it was compressed too much or it was brittle or something. And this is one of the songs where I was like, if they had just done this sound all throughout, I think I could have handled a lot of this. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It, I, this is I, I, I this is like a song where I think like maybe they should have gone this direction for the entire album. So but. ironically enough, for the first time I think in Metal Exchange history, the first track is my song of the week. I love this song, and when I heard the song, I had no idea that this was an out. You know, like I said, an out, a song from so many years ago. So the second we're done, I'm going to go listen to the original because I have to hear it now. But when I first heard this thing, I couldn't believe how heavy the riffs were. For the monkeys, right? Like, I just couldn't believe that they had recorded a song like this. And the vocals gave me this, like, 70s rock vibe, like this Zeppelin meets the Who thing going on with the with the aid of the modern production. Um, and even the really subtle keys that you'd hear behind, like, the pre-chorus and stuff, I thought it was a nice touch. And I was, like, hooked from the beginning. And I said to myself, this album is going to be fantastic if it's all like this. It wasn't, uh, and and we'll we'll get into that in a bit. But uh, let's let's give Circle Sky a, a listen, and we'll we'll uh, we'll come back in a minute. So that was Circle Sky, the 1996 version. Um, a really interesting start to the album. But again, what 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 kind of lost me, and, and Sean kind of alluded to this a bit earlier, more so on the production side. But for me, it was more of a flow issue, um, especially towards the back third of the album. I think things get real weird back there. I mean, really weird, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> the second track is called Never Enough. Um, and I'll, if you don't mind, I'm going to just start with this one because every time I heard this song, I was convinced I was listening to Tom Petty, like convinced. And I, I'm like, if you would have had this as a B side on a Tom Petty single, I would have been like, yeah, well that makes sense. Um, great vocal harmonies, a beautiful melody throughout. Um, and I like how the verses just seamlessly flow into the chorus. Now, obviously it's going to be different than a Halloween or a Stradivarius or something like that. But knowing what the monkeys are, I thought this song was just really beautifully constructed with this quaint instrumental section, which just kind of made things different enough that it really kept your attention um, with some of the best vocal performances on the album. Now, I, I don't think I liked it as much as Circle Sky, but uh, for me, I was two for two right off the bat. Uh, yeah, I I will say I think that Mickey, who sings on this track um, and and wrote this track as well, is probably 
the best of the four vocalists as a vocalist. He's just as such a, I, I know like a lot of, um, a lot of classic, like classic rock musicians always said that Mickey Dolenz was an underrated vocalist and um, really underrated a lot of things. Like he was a really, considering he came from show business as like a show business kid and yeah. really didn't have, you know, uh, mu- you know, musical experience. Like he, I think became one of the most accomplished of the four members of the band. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you like this song. I really just didn't remember it that well. And it ended up being one of the songs I looked forward to hearing uh, when I would go back and, and listen to it. It's It's got kind of a bluesy kind of just mid tempo, like chill kind of, uh, you know, vibe to it. And um, I think uh, I'll keep the ball rolling. I think I'll make this one my song of the week. I, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. I, I thought it was uh, really, really good. And uh, I love, I just think Mickey's even now, like the, and and Carrie can tell us, seeing that he's seen Mickey sing live recently, that if he yeah. still got it, and I, based on I saw him two years ago, and he definitely still had it two years ago. So uh, yeah, I like I like this one quite a bit. I had a tough time trying to decide which song to pick, but I, I feel like this song is as good as any. So uh, let's give this one a listen, and then we'll we'll uh, hear Carrie and Sean's thoughts on this one. So we're two songs in. We've got two songs of the week. Sean, your thoughts on Never Enough, hearing it for the first time this week? It, um, I mean, it's like an innocuous song. It's not offensive in any way. There's no – to me, like when I listen to a song, even like just a, a rock song or a pop song, there should be some sort of build between the verse and the bridge and the chorus, and it just never takes off. It's just like – if you if you drew the song as a, a visual, it would just be a straight line. So it's on and the that, runway; it just never flies. Yeah, and that that kind of irritated me. But like the the at the end, when all the layered vocals, the harmony vocals come in, I was like, oh, okay, that's something. That was okay. But it seems like when they were mixing or, or recording the song, they like slowed it down more than it needed to be because it sounds so slow, like painfully slow. And it's like I think this tempo needs to be a little up. You know, so I, I don't know. It's just it, it, those reasons I, I wasn't wild on it. And maybe it's that tempo that you kind of referenced earlier that gave you those doom vibes, Carrie. Do you hear it on this track or not so much? This is not really the one I was referring to. But, yeah, I mean, um, not my favorite track on the album. I, it's one of my favorite uh, Mickey performances. I think it's he's really strong on this track. Um 
So there was an album that just came out through Seven A Records called Demos I Sell. That was it's all Mickey old um, demos from around eighties, nineties, all that era. And this is one of the tracks that was on it. And this is definitely the better version of that song. Um, it's really um, you, when you talk about there's only one Nesmus track on here that he's saying oh, one, only one Peter Tork, which is per the usual. Um, and the rest are split between Mickey Dolans and Davy Jones. Um, this album feels like Mickey Dolans was the strongest performer on the album, uh, comparatively to everybody else. And like we talked about earlier, we have to get, we have to give everybody credit because they played the, all the instruments on this album. And Chris alluded to that, you know, when they first started, Mickey was not a drummer. He learned to play the part of a drummer in, on the TV show. And on this album, I think he proves that he, he he's not like, you're not going to compare him with John Bonham or anybody like that. Or, But he was a competent drummer. He, he had some good stuff on this album. And yeah. I wish he didn't. I wish he did more of it after this, but he didn't really, you know. I think that's. I think that's a really good synopsis. Um, the drums on the album, by and large, do hold this thing together. Now, I'm yeah. not saying it's the most complex music in the world, but at the right. end of the day, you know, it, it fills the it fills the void that you need on the low end for sure, and it does drive the train along. Um, and I think a good example of that, ironically enough, is is um, the next track here, which is "Oh What a Night," because this this track at least for my money, was very much like that old monkey sound. This is what I kind of expect when I listen to the monkeys, right? This this album would have fit really nicely in 1966, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, but I'll, I'll give my thoughts in a bit. Chris, I'll kick it to you. Oh, what a night. Talk to me about um, the third track. Oh, the, what the, a horrible night to have a curse. <laughs> <laughs> a little throwback to last week. Um, yeah, Davy Jones never disappoints when you want to hear something that kind of fits that monkey's, you know, it's a it's a wild box that the songs fit into, but uh, a box nonetheless. And um, you know, I ended up really kind of digging this song after hearing it a few times. It reminded me of like going to like a resort and sitting by the pool and listening to like a Jimmy Buffett song. It's like yeah. it's got kind of a vacation vibe. Just very, just very like I don't know, almost like has like a hula tempo. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. It does, but uh, I, I think it's a pretty. I think it's a pretty good little song. I, I love. I love. Uh, I always loved Davy. He was never like my favorite monkey, but and I always feel like he he kind of gets a, ba- a a bad rap from some of the the hardcore fans because he's the guy who sang Daydream Believer and he was the heartthrob and everything. But um, and a lot of times like the songs that he tends to sing on are the more kind of like saccharine love yeah yeah. love and this is not you know terribly off that you know characteristic but i think it's a a nice little tune and does not um fit whatsoever with the two songs that preceded it yeah it's it's definitely different i know you spoke about a vacation sean did you want to take a vacation after you heard the track i i want to hear your thoughts um is Easily the most listenable song on the first half of the album. I actually thought it was okay. Uh, all the lead guitar work was really good. Um, and I really did like the vocals. Um, and you said that this guy, so there's Davy Jones, and he sang on Daydream Believer? Correct. 
Okay, so that kind of jibes. Like, I thought, like, yeah, it's like whoever's singing on this song is way better than whoever's singing on the rest of the album. But I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out if, if they were. I don't, I, I don't know what the monkeys do. I just figured there was like two singers or something. But, um, yeah, good vocals. And, the, and what I wrote in my notes is kind of reminds me of a Jimmy Buffett song. Nice. Wow. So, there you go. Nice. And, and you know, it did, I'll say this it, it, to agree with you guys. It had a really uplifting feel to it. And for me, I was three for three after this. I, I, I'll, I'll admit we fall off a cliff after this thing, but the first three tracks, I'm totally on board. It had that really, um, really solid start. And again, I just, I felt good after listening to this track and maybe that's got the whole vacationy Jimmy Buffett thing going. Um, Carrie, your thoughts. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that you said. It's so interesting to hear it from Sean's point of view. Cause he's, he's such a, a beginner, but yeah, Davey was known for doing the saccharine sweet love songs. He was the heartthrob and all that. And, might be unpopular opinion, but he's my least favorite vocalist in the band. Um, he's the best one <laughs> I can hear. <laughs> he's the best. Yeah. He sang Danger. He sang on the hit. <laughs> no, it's not their only hit, though. He's well. We're not. Get, we're not getting in the weeds on this stuff. We're not going to argue. But <laughs> um, please, I mean, that's please the, argue, argue away. That was like the biggest hit that he did sing. You know what I mean? Uh, if you think about it, like Pleasant Valley Sunday and Last Train to Clarksville. All, all that was stuff with Mickey. So I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Yeah. So, but he got lumped into that, you know, front man of the band type of vibe because he was the key one, you know, not that I'm saying he was the key one, whatever, but I mean, just proof right here on my arm. Like if, if you're watching, I just got a, a autograph Mickey Dolan's tattoo. So that sort of takes me out of uh, the whole equation, I guess, you know what I mean? You can tell. Um, but I mean, yeah, I like the song. It's not, it's not my favorite track on the album though. Um, which is weird. I like the Davy tracks, but they're, they never tend to be my favorite. Cause he had very good. He had some stinkers in his career. For sure. <laughs> but this wasn't one of them. So definitely not one of them. I think that the, I think that when the monkeys were being produced in the early years, like they looked at him as the closest link to the Beatles because sure you know he was I, I'm fairly sure he's from the same town in England as in uh, they were from they were Manchester he was Manchester no no the the Beatles were from Liverpool he was from Manchester oh, okay right? got it um, close but yeah so I, but I think that they were trying to at least with him pull in some of that oh, yeah. already you know that Beatles fandom that was already existing so um it's interesting to see how he evolved into like the eighties and nineties and, and those two albums that they released during that, that time. Um, I, I yeah, I, I'm kind of with Carrie. I have kind of a, a real love hate relationship with Davy songs, depending on, you know, which ones there are. There's some that I think um, are really, when he goes out of the box a little bit, I think that's yes. when he really shines when it gets a little bit away from the, he has what, like a show, kind of a show tunes kind of background, and that's kind very of very show tuny. Yeah, very. He was like an Oliver and all that kind of stuff, and right. Uh, even with even with him in the band before he had passed away, the the monkey shows with him felt very review Las Vegas review style, very you know show tune versions of everything. Um, wasn't my favorite era, and not saying that it took his desk to get there, but after he had passed. I went and saw that first tour they did with Nesmus back in the band. 
because um, he realized, well, look, at we're we're not all going to be forever, so we'll just do it. And it felt like a garage band just jamming again, and that was that's what their feeling was towards the end towards the end of it, you know. And Mickey's still continuing, so I'll say yeah. that was, um, you know, I saw the the monkeys in a lot of different incarnations, never all four at once, but um, right. The the Mickey, Mike, and Peter trio was my. I saw them only once, but that was my favorite Me too. of all the monkeys. I think I've seen the some formation of the band four or five times, but that was uh, that was my favorite because it really felt like a rock concert. Yeah, it felt like it. you're hanging out in the garage as they were jamming. It was great. Mickey was back on drums during some songs, and but I originally saw them back in like '87 when they were when they first were getting popular again. And it was very like review style show. The it's interesting because you you know you talk about everyone's songwriting and and, and kind of mm-hmm. the different flavor they bring to the band, but there's one track on here which is actually a collaboration where it's Mickey and Davey, and that's the next track, "You and I." It clocks in at just under three minutes. Um, I've got some thoughts about this one as well, but I'm going to start with you, Carrie. What's your, what are your thoughts on this one? Because I thought this was a really kind of an oddball track for reasons I'll get to in a second. Uh, I mean, I don't hate this track. It's a, uh, it was from an earlier, an early song that they've basically redone. Okay. Um, and it, it sounds, it sounds good. It's a, uh, I, I like I, I do like the the harmonies between Davey and Mickey. They have really good harmonies, um, like like Kiske and like in in Aventasia. When you know, I, I I think they're one of the when they sing together. When all the all the guys sing together, like especially Mickey and Michael Nesmus, when they harmonize on some of the later albums, it sounds really really good. But. Um, you can tell that this is definitely written for Davey. I don't, I don't know if Mickey would have sounded as good singing this track because it's a lovey dovey track. And no, no question about that. Um, Sean, any thoughts on this one? Um, vocals were okay. All the wee guitar stuff, like the whole razzle dazzle wee guitar licks were cool. Um, it, again, it just had that same problem as, uh, as um uh, where it's just that straight line you know and i'm just looking for that something to take off and it never does and it's just the song feels flat it, it, it's weird because like when i heard this the thing that came to mind was um Queensryche, here in the now frontier like some huh. of the songs on that album where like i spent a lot of time with that album and i would always be bothered by like how flat some of the stuff seemed on there I was like, this is not, does not feel like Queensryche. Especially when and, you compare it to the earlier Queensryche material, which always yeah. had a big build and there was like the big choruses on Mindcrime and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it would just rock it off into the, the, the stratosphere. But I never yeah. thought somebody would compare the Mon- and Monkey's track to Queensryche, but there yeah, we go. I don't know why it came in the <laughs> I have a comparison, but I assure you it is not Queensryche. And that's the beauty of this, that we can all hear kind yeah. of different things in this. Um, Chris, any thoughts on this track? Yeah, this was the one I knew the the most, not counting uh, Circle Sky, just because it was kind of the the go to track from this album that would make it onto like a lot of the compilations and yeah. the greatest greatest hits albums. And I, I think it's pretty much like a a classic Monkeys song, just a really like good feeling, you know, kind of upbeat. Um, I re- I thought that the I, I thought. 
the bass line was just really prominent on, on this song that I just, I always really like this. I just think it's a nice song. It's just, it's a feel good song. It's not my favorite on the album. It's not my favorite monkey song, but um, I just think it's like a really solid tune. I don't know. I always really kind of liked it. Um, and I don't feel any differently now. This song did not do anything for me. I think as the week went on, I appreciated it a little bit more. But I think what it comes back to is that every time I listen to that acoustic guitar intro, I'm thought I, I keep thinking of that song "Kiss Me" by Sixpence, whatever the hell they're called. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and I can't unhear it, and I hated that song, and so I keep so I it's like a guilt by association. But you listen to this song, listen oh, to that intro, and you'll never on. I guarantee you, you'll <laughs> never unhear it. It's and a as a result, guitar. Yeah, I can. I wrote it. the damn thing off. Although ironically, Sixpence. On the richer stole the song because it was they wrote it three years later. So plagiarism for them, but it ruined the monkey song for me. On to the next track. Well, so I want to say, my, and she's all that, and not yeah. and not that other song. <laughs> right? I want to. I do want to say. Uh, I do want to focus on the bass lines on this track. Uh, I really love the the bass work that Peter does. It's just some cool bending stuff. It's not like super because it's a. It's supposed to be a slower track, you know. But I think his bass really stands out for me. Yeah, I, I can. I mean, I respect to the song for that. It just uh, I couldn't. I couldn't get over the first fifteen seconds, so it was it was hard for me to listen to the rest. But uh, <laughs> uh, "Unlucky Stars" is the next track, and it's um, a, a real pivot here. When you think the band is going in one direction, they completely zig and zag and now they go to a 50s doo-wop sound which was like completely unexpected uh if i'm lying i'm lying but like tell me that this doesn't sound like 50s doo-wop the difference though for me is that unlike a band like virgo which was that andre matos project where they had a song that was like it i thought it was really fresh and inspired and for some reason i loved it on that album but here it's an easy listen I enjoy the piano. It's just a bit mundane. And, and to Sean's point, this one never takes off for me. It's just like they milked the one idea for three minutes. And and this was a, a bit of a miss for me as well. I, I appreciate the experimentation. I don't particularly like the execution. Um, Chris, you want to you wanna tell me I'm wrong? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, this song grew on me a little bit as the week went on. Um it's if they're I mean this is an album full of outliers and this one's another one. Um it feels a little um I don't know, masturbatory, like that Mickey just wanted to do like a uh just a a look at me sing like a, this this kind of um I mean I, I I have to admit the vocal performance in and of itself is really good. Um it's just it just feels really um out of place. Uh, on the rest of the album, although it is kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a neat song and you're right. It does kind of have a even pre, you know, monkeys era vibe to it. And I, I don't yeah. know of Carrie, you can chime in if you think I'm wrong, but I, I don't no. think the monkeys ever had a song that sounded like this. Uh, Not before really. Or after. I mean, it, it definitely, yeah, I can see that fifties doo-wop, like it has like a bluesy vibe to it. Um, and for that, I've always, it's never been my favorite, but I can, I can appreciate the song and I never, I don't skip it. There's only, if I listen to a monkey's album, there's only very few songs I've ever skipped. Um, and Davey is saying most of those, <laughs> like I, 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 all I have to say is lady, a- ladies aid society, whatever that song is. And 
if we fell in love. Oh, there's some bad. Oh, that's stuff. that might be the worst monkey song yes. of all time. Um, <laughs> if but, you can even call it a song, it's just yeah, baby it's talking like over word. some instruments. It's a spoken word love song, whatever. <laughs> um, but I do like the song. I towards the end, he really starts to feel it and gets into it, and you could hear it in his voice. And it's a yeah. I never thought about it being like a '50s doo-wop song, but I can't unhear that now. You know. I, I can picture him singing it in that basement restaurant from Boy Meets World um, right. when they they sang My Girl on that one episode. Yes. Um, I feel like like after the credits rolled, Mickey went, got up on stage and sang this by himself, and I just that's kind of how I picture him with like the spotlight on him, and it's just him. I just that's just me. Uh, my goal is to make you never listen to this album the same way again. So I'm two for two, or at least on my two attempts to really shape you guys. You're succeeding so far. (laughs) Nice. I I like it. But Sean, um, this has got to be unlike anything you've ever heard, let alone everything you ever thought you'd cover on a metal podcast. (laughs) You know, like, well, yeah, for sure that, but I mean, (laughs) it's it's, it's funny that, because Chris mentioned like the, like um, the movie thing or the TV thing. And that's what I thought. I was like, this is like something that would be, in like the back, like when the character went into a bar in a movie and this would be the thing that's playing on the speakers in the background and it would just be part of the background noise. It wasn't like offensive or anything. It just never, there was not, there's no hook really. Nothing grabbed me. All the guitar musicality is cool. I think the the lead guitar playing throughout the album is pretty much like one of the more interesting elements of it. That's a a tall Nesmus baby. But this is, I mean, eh. As a song, it's just it doesn't do anything. It doesn't really go anywhere. It just seems like um, kind of pointless, almost. Yeah. Uh-huh. Listen, I, I think that's I think that's fair, and um, it, it is different. And then we go to Admiral Mike, which is another like wacky song, um, but this one I really liked as well. And I don't know why this track was so trippy. Um, for a number of reasons, but I'll, I'll let somebody else do the honor. So please, somebody jump in and talk to us about um, Admiral Mike. I, w- I will jump in and uh, say this is my track of the week. Nice. This I, was uh, this was in contention for me as well. It was this or, or the first track, but why is it yours? I've always loved this track. The It's written by Nesmus, but it's not sung by him. It's sung by Mickey. Um, Nesmus has always been a wordsmith, um, and... If you look at the lyrics, it's all about, you know, how we're being sold stuff all the time and we just go with it. Um, there's some, uh, you know, great lyrics in this track, but guitar is so heavy in the song um, comparatively to what they usually would do. And this is the first song when I when I heard the album the very first time I was like, wow, they're trying something that's not in their wheelhouse for sure. They're definitely trying to grunge it up a little bit. But I really love the drum sound in the song. It's it's a little bit slower but heavier, and I definitely get some doom elements off this track. Nice. Let's uh, let's give it a listen. Find out what it is you're referring to, and we'll come back. Uh, we'll come back in a bit.
So really interesting choice. I'm, I'm glad you picked that for the song of the week. I think that this, um, this song gave me such heavy grunge vibes, right? Like just dirty, angry, and the two bands that came to mind were Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. So it was like their attempt at the Seattle grunge scene just about two am, three years after the fact. I am so happy you just said Alice in Chains because I always get that vibe from this track. Because Alice in Chains were – they were thrown into that grunge, but they were always a little bit heavier and a little yeah. bit more that slow, doomier style to them from – especially where they were from. But yeah, I, I've always got that vibe from this track. I'm glad sure. you said that. Sean, um, any thoughts on this one? I have a feeling this might have struck a chord one way or another. Man, like, and this is why I didn't do any research on the monkeys beforehand because I didn't want like any criticism to seem personal. Like, I just listened to the album. No, dude, I hate this song. Like, I, I, I really? I've, been, I've been replaying everything we've been <laughs> as, we, as we've been talking about in the background. I couldn't even put this song on. I never want to hear it again the rest of my life. I absolutely hate it. Like the, the vocals suck, the whiny, annoying, the awful guitar tone. That is what, when people like, like when people describe like a, a guitar tone, that's like, like, I have a hard time with like a lot of fuzzy guitars unless they're in the proper context, like kind of dreamy alternative rock. I like it in that aspect. Like grunge was never really my thing. So this guitar tone, it's like someone's like, you know nails on a chalkboard almost for me and the whiny vocals towards the end especially i just and the tempo and every uh, the entire thing this the songwriting can, I, can you guys still hear him I, I think he's cut out for me it was it was painful for me to, his, joking, to listen to this song <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's fair to say it's not your song of the week, Chris. What what did you think no. about it? I don't know. I'm just I'm just. I think Carrie's going to be looking for a new co-host. For this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We said we're going in here with no hard feelings. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm I'm worried about leaving with the hard feelings, yeah. not so much the going in part. No, it's go all good. I I did I didn't like this song at first, and it it grew on me. Um, it, it's it's arguably the most aggressive vocal performance of any monkey's song that that i can think of um it, it does have a lot of uh a lot of vile or a lot of bile like behind it um the, the guitar tone reminded me a lot of um like 80s clapton um it, it's that's that just a really chunky guitar sound that's kind of what that um reminded me of but um yeah, it's it's interest. I'm really interested in just the very different opinions of 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 everybody on this one. I'm kind of uh, middle of the road on, on this one. I don't I don't hate it, but um, it's not one of my favorites on the album either. Like, but it, it's the, it's, the, the song is very song? polarizing. Then yeah, but I do like that they went for something like a little bit like yeah, grungy and and like dirty and and like I don't know, like just uh, um, a little bit uh, harsh. So that all being said, I thought it was an interesting way to close out side one. Side two of this album, or the B-side, if you will, some really weird stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the better tracks, in my opinion, is the next one, Dying of a Broken Heart. This is a really funky tune. The bass lines are really prominent. And when you talk about the band actually playing their own music... For me, this is actually one of the best examples. The bass lines on this particular tune. I got like a Red Hot Chili's Peppers vibe with some blues guitar thrown over the top. So it's almost like Red Hot Chili Peppers meets Chuck Berry, which is 
Never something I thought I would say on this podcast either, but unless here we are and this is the week. <laughs> um, hard for me to really kind of make heads or tails out of it. It's almost all over the place. And the composition itself almost reminded me of like 70s prog rock with like a Yes or a Genesis or something just because – or a King Crimson. The song was all over the place. Um, I think I actually liked it, but I can't say for sure. I don't I'm even know sure. if I have an opinion on this one yet. Um, Sean, any better on this one or are, are we are we just uh, swinging and missing throughout here? I mean slightly better because the you know all the guitar flourishes were nice – um, it reminded me of Dire Straits. I don't know if that's a bad comparison or not. I think that's pretty um, apt. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, it was it, it sort of it, really in the album. It reminded me of like um, of you and I sort of like those two being paired together almost. Um, interesting rhythm stuff in here. It just didn't mean it didn't really stick with me. I guess this kind of rock is not really for me, but. Sean, at some point you do have to pick a song of the week, so I just want to put that yeah. out there. It is a it is a requirement when you're on the metal exchange. Um, Chris, he's going to pick a song from the Merciful Fate album we did the last time we got together. Uh, that's funny, Chris. Go ahead, tell me uh, your thoughts of uh, Dying of a Broken Heart. Yeah, this is another one that's kind of middle of the road for me. It's um, it's definitely a really groovy tune, and I think it's kind of uh, a necessary palate cleanser after the last song was just so like kind of. I don't know if dark is the word you want to use, but just kind of like grimy. And this one's just a little bit cleaner. And um, it, I couldn't get out of my head. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the, um, the Juice Newton song, Queen of Hearts from like yeah. 1981. It's yeah. like an old, kind of like a, a fairly popular, like country. It's a country band, I think. And, and, I, I have our mutual friend Mike Crea to thank for making me even aware of the song th- through his his Power Hour. Um, but uh, this felt like a slower tempo version of that song to me, and I couldn't I couldn't just get that out of my head. Um, but um, it's a it's a solid tune. Um, not my favorite, but um, definitely not my least favorite either. I, sorry for kind of hedging on that one, but. Uh, curious about uh carrie's thoughts on this one yeah i mean i i like this track um it's one of the like if you go back to that uh new album that he put out the old demos this is one of the tracks that mickey has been demoing for years and years before this album came out um you know it i love the line he says i lived through nixon and a drug or two that's very you know yeah that's very uh self-fulfilling i guess it's like a it's like a cathartic lyric for them um but yeah i mean it's a really really cool song like you said chili peppers bass lines and it really funky um and i i really like some of the harmonies on this track too and it provides contrast to the second mickey dolan's tune in a row which is regional girl the eighth track um chris any thoughts on this one this is um this is definitely different from uh, Dying of a Broken Heart. So even though it's uh, another Dolan's tune, they sound nothing alike. Yeah, it kind of kicks It kicks off with kind of like a, a – oh, God, why the name just fell right out of my uh, – Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of like uh, guitar riff to kick oh, things yeah. off. Um, I almost said Billy Ray Cyrus. That would have been really embarrassing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, th- this is another one that, it, again, kind of just – didn't hit for me or it wasn't really like a, a, a bad one either. I kind of another um, 
middle of the road track. I mean, Mickey again does like a hell of a job on vocals, and it kind of almost has like a like a like a, a song you'd hear at a bar that looked kind of like the bar in Roadhouse. Uh, huh. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know that I have too much uh, more to add. I, it, it's um, it just definitely had kind of that. Um, that kind of almost like Western rock kind of, I don't know, like Stevie Ray Vaughan is just the thing that keeps popping into my head. So you say Stevie Ray Vaughan, I hear ZZ top. So, I mean, again, yeah, that, I, definitely, I that makes a lot of sense too. Maybe we're splitting hairs, but, um, beard hairs in this. Yeah, case. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, Carrie, I, I saw you shaking your head at one point. I want to know yeah, why I was surprised that what you said about the song, Chris, I thought you would dig it. This is that if I hadn't picked Admiral Mike, this is probably one of my, this is my number two or number my number three song on this album. Um, I, it's another one of the ones that he did a demo for years that they redid for this album. I love the lyrics in this song. Um, there, he talks about coke, cocaine for the first time ever in a monkey song. Uh, like that line where it says, "Try to keep the little buggers playing with your pants." I'm like, okay, that's. That's something new for them to, to talk about. Um, but, you know, they mentioned Indiana Jones. How can you hate that? <laughs> that was but, the best line in the song. I want to be right? clear. That one I think he just did that to, just so he could rhyme something. But <laughs> Sometimes you got to go with it. If you can't find a rhyme, use Indiana Jones, I guess, is, a, is a, the takeaway here. Sean, but, uh, did, you, did you like Reasonable Girl or not so much? Um, so the vocalist on this song is the same vocalist on Admiral Mike, right? Yes. Yes, I I do not like the vocals. Like they bothered me on this song, and for some reason, and one of the things I wrote in my notes here was the main riff annoys me so much. Sean, I am with you so much. I hated this yeah, song. I hate that riff. I, I hate hated it. this song. I hated the vocal lines. It reminded me at the start. It almost reminded me of like an old Beatles song, but just not good. And like I, for something about it. Um, it was just cringy. And every time I heard it, I dreaded the fact that I had to listen to this yeah. song. And what's weird is the next track I actually enjoy quite a bit, but reasonable girl was just a miss for me. And it's, it's, if I never hear it again, I wouldn't complain. And that's why I'm surprised that Carrie liked it so much because I thought we've been in lockstep for a lot of this, but this one, we, we are on two different paths on this song and, and you're, you're flying high and I'm jumping off the cliff on this yep. one. I, it is a hard pass for me. You've parachuted off. Yeah, I, I, I'm off. But run away, I've run away from life, which is actually the next track. Um, but this is a good one. This one has a ton of synthesizer or like that Hammond organ thing going on. A real nod to 70s prog rock on this one. Love the verses. Love the chorus. This was easily, easily one of my top three songs on the album. Um, a little bit over self-indulgent but at the same time i think that they have a right to do that because listen they played on the album so credit to them and if they want to go into the uh spacey 70s thing I'm, I'm i'm on board there's even an organ solo on this thing so kudos to them um chris you're laughing i know you noticed it as well Tell oh, yeah. me your thoughts on runaway from life i you know the one thing i wish they would have done on this song was have peter sing it because yes. he wrote the song and yes. it's Peter was always the quirkiest vocalist of the four. And I think that would be the nicest way to describe Peter's uh, vocals, but he was always like 
my favorite as a kid. I even though he sang the least amount of songs, maybe that was what the appeal was, was that he was kind of his vocals were more like of a treat. Um so it would have been being that he only got one track uh, to sing on uh even though he wrote the song. It just Carrie, tell me if you disagree or not, but I feel like Peter singing this song would have fit right on Pool It. Oh yeah, it would definitely have fit on his solo album too. Um I I've Peter was always the underrated uh, vocalist and lyricist, but one of the most prolific uh, instrumentalists in the band. He could play everything, really, uh, especially when you saw him live. Um, yeah, I'm listening to it right now, and I, I hear the, the, the synth solo in the middle. Like, gotta love a good synth solo, right? But Listen, uh, We cover enough prog, prog on the show that uh, yes. they, they, they hooked me on that. Right? Um, Peter was definitely known for that kind of stuff, but I would have loved to hear a version with him singing this instead of Davy Jones. Cause it, and it's like most of the chorus though, it, you can hear Mickey more than Davy though. This is the way it's produced. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because this is like the last true rocker on the album before we get to three ballads that end it. Um, uh-huh. Sean uh, run away from life. Um, it's, he's, he's thinking about it. <laughs> this and Regional Girl are vying for the second worst song on the album. Ooh, um, interesting. The verses are so plodding in this song. It's like rhythmic to a fault almost. And and the vo- there's no real vocal melody that you can latch on to throughout. The synth solo that happens midway through, I'll tell you a story. The first time I heard this album, I hit it on I had it on random for I didn't realize and I'm driving, and this song came on, and that synth solo came on. It made me so mad. I yelled, <laughs> F this, and switched it to sports radio. Wow. So, um, I, oh, um, I, I, I can't describe what it is about that synth solo coming in like that. It just, yeah, n- it nails on the chalkboard for me. I don't, I don't like that tone. I don't like that instrument choice. That was like, a that I, was a pre I, that was a pre Dream Theater Jordan Rudis uh, who came in and <laughs> did that little you know jumped in there and not a lot of people know that yeah. yeah we're gonna we're gonna let Sean pick our next album and this way he gets full oh, retribution God, we, on yeah, all of us I feel like it's the least we could do <laughs> um, so we get to these three ballads at the back end the first is I believe in you. Um, <sighs> This, again, like I said, the back half of this album was kind of weird because you have all the, the, the there's you're zigging and zagging throughout the first you know nine tracks. And then you get to these three ballads in a row, only one of which clicked for me. Um, you can take your guesses to which one, but it was not I Believe You. And, and I think the reason here is that it, even though I like the piano and you kind of – you feel like you're at a poetry reading when you're snapping your fingers to this thing, <laughs> for some reason I just thought it was a little – mundane and boring and just I, I don't know it just missed and and i'm not saying it was a bad song it just didn't click for me this week um something about it we'll, ch- I, we'll check it, in with you next week and see yeah maybe you know maybe maybe i'll maybe i'll like it more when i listen to it a tenth time i don't know um uh, but probably tell me i'm wrong am i did i, I, am I did you're, that? You're, i think you're wrong Okay, um, please tell this me is why. My, this is this is probably my number three track on this on this album not because it's just your torque but when I talked about those slow, doomy elements, this is the first track that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, this, if a band covered this like a funeral band doom, you wouldn't even bat an eye. 
um, like a Wood the V Prey or something along yeah. those lines would work really well with this track. Um, there was like the O's and the, and the all that kind of stuff, and just like the slow tempo and the. I think this is. I, yeah, I can see like the piano stuff, but if you if you think about this from the from that other view, from like being like a doomy track, yeah, I think you would might appreciate a little bit more. And it's Peter's only vocal appearance on the album as a lead vocalist, and I think he kills it. He's great. The vocal performance is good. I will say that. And maybe if I heard uh, you know a funeral doom band covering this, I'd have a real maybe, newfound respect for it. Maybe I need to start a funeral doom band that covers this track. <laughs> yeah. <That's it>. <laughs> well, I'll cover that on the Metal Exchange anyway. Let's do Sh- it, Sean. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you: did, did, Do we do we get you, you had two tracks in a row that you hated? Do we pick it up a little bit as we get to the back uh, quarter of this album? Yeah, because I thought this was at least an interesting idea that was like, okay, so they it, they missed on it, but I they could tried. see I could see how yeah it, it weirdly reminded me of like REM a little bit, okay, um, in their weirder moments and like uh, it's like the Cure that kind of thing. So I could see it being like a good idea. It just feels underwritten, um, kind of boring where it should be. There should be more of a hook somewhere or, or something more interesting going on. A little repetitive, actually. But yeah, in the context of like a doom metal band, I could see that being interesting, like an interesting cover. Um, it's not. It's by far not the worst song on the album. It's it's at least oh, an reasonable girl. We just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that makes that makes sense. Not my least favorite. I just did. I just did. Just a just a, a pass, not a not a harsh pass like some of the others. But um, Chris, any any thoughts on this one? I I didn't like the song at all when I first started listening to it, and it grew on me quite a bit, especially the way that the song kind of changes about halfway through. Um, I think it just makes it just adds a little bit more of an interesting. It just makes the song a little bit more interesting because it is a little mundane for the first half. Um. The kind of the 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 gate of the piano reminds me of um, King of Pain by the Police in in sort of way, um, mm, yeah. But um, the way that like the 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 piano is like kind of like drifts away from the song, it, it's kind of proggy. Like I, I don't know, I think this is a a really funky tune. It ended up being um, one of my favorites by the time uh, I was done listening to it and again like i'm i'm a peter guy so like um you come to expect with a peter song especially one that he's singing is going to be a little bit uh quirkier and a little yeah. bit off the beaten path and and usually in a good way though and i think this um isn't is no exception i, I thought this was kind of a, a cool a cool tune and it really really did grow on me as the uh the week went on but i really do like that part just in the middle of a song where it just kind of um almost changes the direction of the song totally. And it really adds another element to it that uh, I think really works. So obviously a a polarizing track on that one as well. We get to another Mickey Dolan's tune with it's my life. Um, I'm so so curious if anybody heard what I heard on this track. So I'll let everybody go and see if they say it. Well, I definitely heard a lot of tambourine, so I'll say that. And I, de- but I, it had a, like a late era Beatles vibe to it, like one of the like a later era Beatles vibe, you know, type thing going on. Um, 
I can't imagine the song without that tambourine, though. I feel like it actually adds like a nice element to it, and it kind of brings it I mean, out of the mundane. Yeah, you have to um, give Davey something to do. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, but it, I like it's like kind of it builds to what I would call like the payoff. So, like we talked about the launching point earlier, Sean. So I'll steal your phrase. This one I think actually gets off the ground because by the end it seems to have like a big vin- uh, big finish, and I like the vibe on this one. Um, would you agree with me, or am I crazy? I, I guess I'm not hearing what you're hearing. I mean, the one thing I thought was, I thought the song was actually like, it could have, there seemed to be some kind of buildup, but it just didn't pay off for me. But okay. the vocalist killed it for me here. So you, this is Mickey Dolenz again. I guess I just don't like his singing. Or <laughs> I, I guess not. I think, just bothered I think Sean, me. I was just Sean like, hates my new tattoo, I guess. I was just like, man, they, 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 they should have had someone else sing this song because like he sounds out of tune. And I can't get past that. It's distracting to me. So, yeah, it didn't do it for me. Counterpoint, Chris? MSR cast, help wanted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. um, we'll see what he, album he picks next time. There we'll you go. Out. Yeah. The, Carrie's going to drag uh, Sean's album through the mud now. Next time. <laughs> um, I, I got um, just Freddie Mercury vibes from this. This felt like something that he would have. Um, it would have sang or would have enjoyed it just kind of uh, that's all i could hear it just felt like mickey dolan's doing his uh it's a a very singer songwriter style yeah yeah Yeah. it it feels like um kind of him doing a queen like kind of uh tune but one of the ones that's really like a freddie mercury you know uh yeah yeah focus piece i never i never put those together but yeah you're totally right yeah that's that's kind of what i heard I, i i like it i think that um being that you know this is a metal podcast i felt i feel like the album would have done well to maybe have something a little heavier towards the end like finishing off with three kind of softer songs i mean it is a monkey's album so you can't really knock them too much for that but just for me like typically i like a little bit more balance towards the end and it just feels like a kind of um the you you make a great point of the track listing the it does feel unbalanced. It definitely yes. at the end. I agree. And that's like, that was part of what I think. I think if you play around with the track order a little bit and mix up these three ballads at the end, I think it has a real, I think it would have had a more positive effect on just the overall flow of the album. Yeah. But uh, your thoughts on the song, Carrie? Um, I, yeah, it's not my favorite Mickey track on the album, but I do enjoy it a lot. Um, yeah. Those queen references. I'm like, Oh Yeah. It's a that Freddie Mercury singer songwriter because he wrote and sang on this track. Uh, Mickey did so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not as bad as the last track on the album. Okay, so to that end, it's, <laughs> the the album ends with yet another ballad, and the word I would use is anticlimactic. Oh, Talk God, to us yeah. about it's not too late. So I think we're in agreement again on this one. This is my least favorite song on the album. I mean, it's not a. Not a horrible song. It's not like a deal breaker or anything like that. But it's a it's a Davy track. This is exactly it's the epitome of what I was talking about earlier. It's that lovey, you know, happy go lucky songwriting style, and it's not my favorite. Definitely not. Sean, you're running out of tracks of the week, so I'm, I'm, I'm either either you're not playing the game or this is it. So if Sean loves this track, I'm yeah, out. Yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> this is my song of the week. Yeah, there we go. Oh. I like it. Why is this your song of the week? 
Because it was like the one song. Because the album was over, album. And you realized you didn't have to listen to it anymore. No, no, like seriously, this is like the one song on the album that um, actually sounded like, oh, okay, this is what this band's supposed to sound like. It's like pop music. It's a decent pop song. Um, I like the, the the brightness of it. Good chorus, really good vocals. Um, I thought whoever's singing lead on this is should should have been singing on the entire album, um, and. You know, it could have been tighter. It's not like a perfect song, but like, I wish I thought, I wish I actually liked the lyrics too. They, I thought they were affecting and it was, it had some kind of emotional weight to it. And it was the first time I like, I was not distracted by anything and I was able to kind of get into a song. So yeah, this is easily the song of the week for me. All right, Chris, I want to hear your thoughts, but before we get there, let's listen to, uh, it's not too late. Chris, why don't you take us home? Talk to us about this uh, this last track on Justice. I- I'm with Sean. I like this song. Um, I think it's the right song to end the album, because, especially because towards the end, it just feels like everyone's just involved and, and just bringing it, the whole thing, to a close. Um, as a Monkees fan, I look at it as if like it's not too late is kind of a way of them saying like it's not too late for... <laughs> all four of us to get into a room and make an album together um yeah. even after many years of of not doing so um and i think what sean said is really pinpoint like right on that like this feels like what you would think a monkey song would sound like if you didn't know you know all of the uh aunties municipal courts and 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 some of the offbeat songs that you know casual listeners might not know um so I feel like between this and um, you and I, I feel like those are really the two, like, and, and naturally they're, uh, you know, Davey-led vocals, but I feel like that's kind of the songs that people, I think, would expect to hear from the Monkees. And I think that when you're kind of like a diehard fan, you're looking for some of the stuff that's a little bit different from this. So um, I could definitely see, like, the viewpoint of both Carrie and Sean on this one. Um, but I, I think it's like a, a solid tune to, to, to end things on. I like it as the last track. I just it's like the longest I, track on the album too. Yeah. Uh, that's it. It feels the most like orchestrated and involved. Like, there, you know, you'd mentioned during the break about like, there's, there's an organ going on. Like there's yeah. just, a, there's a lot musically happening here. And I just think, um, Everybody was on top form, uh, definitely on the song. Yeah, I, I would have not denying that. I think that um, an interesting exercise would be like to reorder the track list on this mm-hmm. album in a more 
maybe a, a more flowing sort of way. But I, I think if I were to do that, I would still keep this as the last song. You know what I think about the song? I'm listening to it again over and over, and it feels very sitcom theme song to me. Yes. I think that's what it is, maybe. It's just this, especially at the last minute or so, I'm like, that could just be like a, a theme song, in, like a in, intro to a, like a really cheesy 90s TV show. Uh, Full House was the first thing that came to mind yeah, for me. <laughs> exactly. Fascinating. Well, that brings us to the end. And um, this was one of the more intriguing chats I think we've ever had about an album on the podcast. But I can't let you go without rating the album on a scale of 1 to 10. So I'm going to kick it over to you, Chris, as I always do at this point. Scale of 1 to 10, what are you giving the monkeys justice? Uh, a lot higher than I thought I was going into this. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. Um, I just overall, um, it, it's kind of cool. Cause I got to listen to some monkey songs that I just didn't really know that well. And we've kind of reached a point where we probably won't have any more, um, new monkey songs to listen to. So, uh, well, join us uh, next week when we do good times. But, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I thought this was a, a really, um, I feel like I definitely underrated this album uh, before uh, Carrie made it his mission to make me listen to it, and I'm glad right. that he did. Good Times a much better album than this. I'll, I'll start with that. But, uh, Carrie, what are, what are you giving this? Um, you know, Seven I thought was pretty generous from you, Chris. Um, I would probably – there's stuff I really like on this, on this album, uh, and there's stuff that I'm sort of just middle of the road of. I'm going to give it like a, I'm going to give it a seven as well. I was looking at maybe like a 6.5, but seven seems about right. Okay. Are um, we going to guess for Sean? I, 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 I want to just go on record. We've had some low scores throughout this. We've covered, we've covered some black metal that may have missed the mark with Chris. Yeah. Um, we know we, we joke perpetually about his love affair with Joey Belladonna and some of the old anthrax stuff. I think we may be at uncharted waters here. Uh, scale of one to ten, can't go lower than a one. Sean, what what are you giving this album? Well, you could you could give it a zero. If you really <laughs> well, I mean, want what's to. the what's the? Because I mean, I've I've heard so many episodes of the podcast, I can't remember anything being less than a six. On no, this, we've had some we've had some fives. We've had some I think uh, fives and I maybe think, a four. I think Celtic Frost was our uh, collectively our worst. Uh, I gave it a t- uh, I gave Monotheist a two, and Justin wow. gave it a three point five. Wow. Didn't click. Sorry, um, Mark. It just didn't click. But so it's my turn now. Um, uh, <laughs> see, I, I don't want to be mean or anything. Like, no, we just oh, be honest. We just asked you to be honest. honest opinion, we, we, if you're asking me to be honest, like honestly, I think giving it a one is generous. Like, <laughs> oh my! Because God. like I've never. It's rare that I have albums that make me mad. The last one that did before this was. That stupid Angus McSix album, which, and that that infuriated me. So, like, it's rare for that to happen. Are you going to write an article now based on no. your experience listening <laughs> no. to this? Because that would be I, I, outstanding. And, and the thing is, like, I really gave this a shot. I was like listening to it like all that's last all, week. That's all we. Week. That's all we asked. That's right. And man, it was it, it was a rough album to listen to. So I'm going to say one because it's just like I never have to listen to it again for the rest of my life, and I'm never going to. That is not true. Every time you come over, now I'm playing it. No, man, this is the. Uh, this is the <laughs> He's not coming over anymore. That's why you're not <laughs> hearing it. Um, 
I, the first time I listened to this, I was like, what the hell did I get myself into? I'm going to kill you guys. But no, eventually it got to the point where it was listenable for me, for sure. There were some tracks that I enjoyed and some which I don't care for. I'm going to give it a five. So I, I, I liked the other album we covered considerably better. I thought that even if they had ghostwriters, they were great songs on that album, which I really enjoyed. Um, but at the same time, there was enough here that I could at least say, you know, I, I didn't hate it. I just, it was not my favorite album. But um, that being said, I, I really appreciated the chat. I thought it was a really interesting discussion. So I want to thank both of you guys. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find your show um, and, and how they can listen to you guys and, and, you know, kind of what your podcast is about. Sure. So uh, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of uh, doing MSRcast. Wow. It uh, originally started as a fanzine back in the day that Sean was part of way back, way back when we first knew each other. Um, and I'm so happy that Sean has been my co-host. It's almost over 10 years for now, for sure. Um, uh, we have a new album or new episode coming. Almost said album. Like I'm, I'm starting that doom metal band. <laughs> all I'm doing, all I'm doing monkeys, monkeys covers. covers. Um, we have a new episode that's coming out this weekend. Uh, we, we talk about a lot of cool new metal. Um, you know, uh, you can find us all over the internet, uh, msrcast.com or our sister show, which is metal geeks at the metal geeks.net. We're all over the social medias. Uh, if you're on Facebook, we have a Facebook group over there, the metal geek society. Um, and uh, we're anywhere you can download a podcast, and uh, even, lots. Your, even your refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, technology is a crazy thing, but uh, sure. lots of lots of fun stuff in store that I think we'll be able to talk about in the coming weeks and months um, for both us and some other friends of ours out there. So I'll just dangle that for yep. now. Um, hear it. Yeah, just that little little nugget to get people thinking. And I don't uh, want to take I, away from Sean, but where, where can people? Because Sean's in a. Pr- uh, Great prolific writer. I want him to be able to let him people. Know I, I absolutely work. second that. By the way, Sean is a phenomenal writer, and I would. Yeah, we'd be remiss to not share where people could check out his stuff. Just don't uh, write an article about the monkeys. I'd be happy. <laughs> no, uh, themetalpigeon dot com and, uh, and uh, metalpigeon at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I'm gonna just say this. Uh, Thanks again for everyone's support for for listening, obviously, to all of our Patreons. We appreciate you very, very much. It helps keep the show going. Um, I'm going to keep things on point for our kind of Halloween-themed offbeat October, although I think that my album for next week is somewhat more in the traditional vein, but it's definitely got a Halloween feel to it um, in certain Uh, respects. It's the Monster Mash. Yeah. (laughs) That's not a bad pivot. I'm I'm actually thinking about that. But uh, I'm going to keep everyone in suspense. When the album hits your feed next week, you'll see what it is. I've already told you, Chris, offline so that you could start giving it a listen. Um, And we will catch everyone uh, real soon when we come back next week with another album. Um, That's a bit of a surprise. Justin, that's going to be our uh, just about – our third uh third anniversary um yeah you're right you're right i didn't even realize our, that. So our first our first episode dropped on october 26 2020 uh right in the the midst of a, a raging pandemic and and uh we that's kind of how the whole thing was born out of uh some having some free time so uh it's pretty cool uh that we've gone this far uh we have a long way to go to to reach the msr cast's uh longevity but uh i'd like to think in 17 years we'll still be 
doing this, God willing. So uh, and yeah. doing more monkeys albums. So Sean, get ready to listen again. But yeah. uh, I digress. On the, on the bright side, like I mentioned before, they're not going to be making any new ones. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have time to catch up. But uh, thanks again to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week, and uh, you know, stay stay safe, everyone. Talk soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah. No excuses for the truth is It's my life now